Great. Well, welcome to this seminar called Who Am I? One of the big, big questions of life. So, my name's Carolyn Kitto, and um, I guess this is a question that I have asked myself, and I'll tell you a bit more about my background so that you understand why, um, throughout my life, and have also worked with a lot of people who haven't known the answer to that question, and that has created, hmm, dislocation, shall we say, for them. So, it's an important question. So, whenever we're dealing with important big questions, it's always important that we ask God to help us. So let's start with a prayer and invite God into this conversation. Let's pray. Creator God, we thank you that uh, you are the God that breathes life into us and you are the great I am who helps us to know who we are. And so as we explore what that means for us in each of our lives, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in our lives, that we may truly become the people who you are inviting us to be. For the sake of your world and your kingdom, may it come on earth as in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, who am I? I want you to find a partner, not for the rest of your life. You might need to move because there's a few solo people around here. Um, so you might need to shift around and find yourself a partner. Um, somebody who looks in your direction and vaguely smiles at you. You two might want to pair up across the room. Okay, I think we've got partners happening now. Um, alrighty, talk to your partner and tell them, uh, well, one of you ask the other, who are you? And the other one is to answer it. And then I'll tell you when to swap. Okay? You ready? Yeah, whoever gets in first gets to go second. <laughs> go for it. Uh, I, 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 I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. We do it. 
Don't tell me though. <laughs> Okay, you each had a go. What are some of the things that you said? Uh, okay, well, hopefully by the end of it, when we ask this question again, you might be able to give a little bit of an answer at least. So yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Who are you? Uh, did any of you tell the other person your name? Yes, I did. Yeah, so sometimes we describe who we are by our name. What else did you say? What other kinds of things? What church? What church you go to? So that's about what tribe you hang out in, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm? Age. So that kind of is about maturity and how you fit into society. Okay, what else? School. Again, that's about the tribe that you're in, isn't it? Yep. What else? Did any of you talk about a personality characteristic, like I'm wacky or I'm outrageous or... You're both weird. Okay, so, so that's a characteristic. Yeah? Weird is good. I want to be old enough to be weird one day. <laughs> I, that's why I think I might become... Um, I shouldn't say this when Juliet's about to walk in, but one of the things that I love about English people as they get older is that you're allowed to be eccentric. <laughs> so when I get old, I, I want to become British because <laughs> it's in their position description. <laughs> um, what, what else? What else did you use? Did any of you talk about something that you're good at, like I'm arty or I'm sporty or I'm... Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So that's a characteristic, uh, a, a um, an ability that you have. Okay. Dan, if you talk about where you live, no, you didn't say oh, I'm from Barara Waters or no. Mm? That's what in church. Oh, that's kind of connected with church. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, did any of you talk about family? I'm a daughter. I'm a son. I'm a no? Okay, all right. But they're all things that can describe um, where you're from. Now, one of the questions that sometimes people ask about, um, about you is, where are you from? Because that's also part of answering who you are. And that's a question that I've always had enormous difficulty in answering. Because this is... Um, where I've lived in my life. I was born in Perth in Western Australia and, um, and moved around country Western Australia uh, until I was 10 and then our family moved to the United States. Now up until that point in my life, I thought that everybody lived in a red brick house 
with a lawn and roses and daffodils in the garden and went to church on Sunday. Um, I then went to Logan, which is a town which is about 80 miles north of a city called Salt Lake City. Now, in, the, in, the, in Logan, where I lived with my family, in the school that I went to, um, all of us, there were only three of us in the entire primary school who were not Mormon. Okay? And one of them was my sister, and the other one became my best friend, and she was Jewish. So for the first time in my life, I suddenly realised not everybody thinks the same. Not everyone believes the same. You know, when you're a kid, you tend to more or less hang around with your family and your parents. And so you're around people that tend to have similar ideas and values. I got thrown into this world that was totally different. And uh, for any of you who've done history, it's almost ancient history, but I will still call it modern history. The time that we were in, that I was living in Utah, was when there was a lot, the civil rights movement was going on in the United States. And in the whole area of this state that we lived in, there was only one African American family. Because at that point in time, in, in Utah, in the Mormon church, an African American person could not be a member of the church. So this very white but very um, different worldview to, to what I had and suddenly I was an outsider. I didn't belong, I didn't fit, I didn't do what everybody else did. And so answering the question, who am I, was actually really important. Then came back to Australia and went to boarding school for a couple of years which is also another little challenge to your identity. And then my family moved to Tasmania. Um, and in Tasmania, any of you know anyone from Tasmania? Been to Tasmania? Okay. So Tasmania is one of those places where if you haven't lived there for three generations, you're not a Tasmanian. Um, and so we moved to this place and I, by this stage, I, have, I think I, at this stage I've been to one, two, three, four, five. I'm going into my sixth school in eight years. Okay? So I pretty much figured out what you had to do when you went to a new school. I figured out how you figure out who the cool kids are, uh, what they wear, what they don't wear. Um, whether they wear long socks or short socks or, you know, all of those kinds of things. I knew how to navigate it. We then, after I'd finished in Tasmania, moved back to Western Australia for um, a couple of years. Then I moved to South Australia for two years, back to Tasmania for four years. Um, and now I, I've lived in Sydney since 1999. So that's the longest I've lived anywhere. Mind you, we've had about six different houses in the time that we've been here. And I spend a lot of time traveling. Um, and so when people say to me, so where's home for you? I don't know how to answer that question. Because all of these places have been home for me, 
and also none of them have been home for me because I've had to move on from them. So for me, I've learned to create home wherever I happen to be and with whomever I happen to be with. And that's been one of the gifts of this, um, this way of, um, of operating and, and the exposure to the world that my... Um, oh, I'm not going to be able to unlock that. The exposure to the world that um, my family gave me. So what helps us to know the answer to the question, who am I? Well, the thing that has been the most important thing for me to discover in that essence of who I am is, God says, I am your God and you are my people. I've called you, I know you by name, you are my people. And Jesus says, I go to my Father and he will send you to you the Spirit, the Comforter, who will lead you into all truth. It's only in that relationship with the Spirit in our lives that we come to the truth of who we are. And that truth is that we are a child of God. But that's easy to say. What does it mean? Well, the thing that I've discovered in my life is that if you want to know who you are, you actually have to give yourself away. Because you cannot give away something that you don't have. If you want to know who you are, you actually have to give yourself away because you cannot give away what you don't have. What I've learnt in my life is that going to places and being with people and stretching myself into places where I thought I might not be able to do it actually has been what has created my sense of who I am. There's a lot of uh, books around that are written about relationships and marriage and discovering who you are and the whole cult of how do you get your needs met in life. Now, most of you are probably too young to have read this book, but you might have heard of the title. There's a book that's called um, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Have you heard that saying? Yep, and it's basically saying men are different to what women are. Well, that's a bit of a no-brainer to figure that one out. However, the basic supposition of the book, which is a massive world bestseller, is that the way in which you will be fulfilled in life is if you find somebody who will meet your needs, who will understand who you are, and who will give you what you need. I want to suggest to you that that is the greatest load of bollocks on the planet. And it is not Christian. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, lay down your life, and follow me. Good relationships are not about another person meeting your needs. Good relationships are about you finding out who you are through serving another person. Okay? Good relationships are about you finding out who you are through serving another person. 
And it's only when we have that orientation that who we are is for giving away and not for keeping for ourselves that we start to get a sense of who we are. Make sense so far? You following me? Okay. One of my favourite movies is Patch Adams. Any of you seen the movie? It's a Robin Williams movie. And um, Patch Adams is a, a, a young man. It's actually based on a real person. Patch Adams is, is a young man. He has, um, he has a nervous breakdown or a psychotic break and he ends up in a mental institution, a mental hospital. And I'm gonna show you a clip of his experience in the mental hospital where there's a man there whose name is Arthur Mendelssohn. Now, Arthur Mendelssohn is a mathematician. And as well as being a mathematician, he has what's known as genius syndrome. In other words, he's so absorbed in his intelligence that he can't really relate to people. Um, and I'm gonna show you a scene about how um, Patch Adams breaks through to Arthur Mendelssohn in a conversation, which shows us some of how we can break through in knowing who we are. Arthur Mendelssohn um, actually following um, all of this became one of the people, I think he won a, won a Nobel Prize for mathematics. And you get a lot of money when you win a Nobel Prize. Arthur Mendelssohn actually went on to fund most of Patch Adams' work that he did in the healthcare industry. So have a look at this and see how Patch Adams is affirming who Arthur Mendelssohn is. Oh, sorry, I need to do one more explanation. Um, Arthur Mendelssohn walks around the, um, the, the, the hospital putting up four fingers like this and saying, how many fingers do you see? How many fingers do you see? And um, this is what the conversation's about. May I come in? If you bend your medial collateral ligaments, place one talus in front of another, I don't see where you'd have a problem. Of course, if there were a news story covering this event, the headline might read, Small Brain Enters Room. Fingers. What's the answer? Oh, you're another one of those bright young fellows who always know the right answer. Welcome to real life. You focus on the problem. You focus on the problem, you can't see the solution. 
Never focus on the problem. Look at me. How many do you see? Look beyond the fingers. How many do you see? What did Patch Adams do? He patched up the coffee cup. He took him seriously, didn't he? And he broke through. But there's a real lesson for us in the four fingers. You know, if you put your fingers up like that and you look past them, a thing called parallax happens and you actually see four if you look past those fingers because they just kind of merge out. Can you see it? If you're looking past them. And it's a bit like that with looking at ourselves. If we become consumed with who we are, we will only be confined to the answer of four. We'll be confined to how we see the world. But if you look beyond, look to other possibilities, you can see the world in a different kind of way and potentially get a different answer. Now, Patch Adams um, was, didn't always um, have life going for him exactly as he wanted to. He set up a, um, well, it wasn't really a hospital, it was a health centre. And... One of, the, one of the women that he became, uh, probably fell in love with, was actually murdered by one of the mental health patients who was in the health centre. And Patch Adams has a conversation with God. It's only when we start to know who we are that God can speak back to us about who we are, but also that we can challenge God. And it's at those points that we can grow. So have a look at this one. So what now, huh? What do you want from me? Yeah, I could do it. Both know you wouldn't stop me.
suddenly became worth it. Why? Because sometimes when we're in the depths of despair in terms of not knowing who we are, that's the very point when God can invade. That's the very point when God can enter our lives and can have that conversation with us. So Patch went on and I've got one last clip to show you. He was taken before the medical tribunal because he was supposedly breaking the protocols of what it means to be a doctor. And they were accusing him of practicing medicine without a license. And he has a wonderful scene where he explains what it means to be human. When did the term doctor get treated with such reverence as, oh, right this way, Dr. Smith, or, excuse me, Dr. Scholes, what wonderful foot pads, or, pardon me, Dr. Patterson, but your flatulence has no odor. <laughs> At what point in history did a doctor become more than a trusted and learned friend who visited and treated the ill? Now, you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until a fever breaks. If this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sir. As you consider the ramifications of your actions, what if one of your patients had died? What's wrong with death, sir? What are we so mortally afraid of? Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and, God forbid, maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. Now I've sat in your schools and heard people lecture on transference and professional distance. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact on another. Why don't we want that in a patient-doctor relationship? That's why I've listened to your teachings and I believe they're wrong. A doctor's mission should be not just to prevent death, 
but also to improve the quality of life. That's why you treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you, you win, no matter what the outcome. Now here today, this room is full of medical students. Don't let them anesthetize you. Don't let them numb you out to the miracle of life. Always live in awe of the glorious mechanism of the human body. Let that be the focus of your studies and not a quest for grades, which will give you no idea what kind of doctor you will become. Mr. Adams, please turn. And don't wait until you're on the ward to get your humanity back. Start your interviewing skills now. Start talking to strangers. Talk to your friends. Talk to wrong numbers. Talk to everyone. Mr. Adams. And cultivate friendships with those amazing people standing in the back of the room. Nurses that can teach you. They've been with people every day. They wade through blood. They have a wealth of knowledge to share with you, and so do the professors you respect, the ones who are not dead from the heart up. Share their compassion. Let that be contagious. Mr. Adams, I demand that you turn and address the board. Sir, I, I want to be a doctor with all my heart. I wanted to become a doctor so I could serve others. And because of that, I've lost everything. But I've also gained everything. I've shared the lives of patients and staff members at the hospital. I've laughed with them. I've cried with them. This is what I want to do with my life. And as God is my witness, no matter what your decision today, sir, I will still become the best damn doctor the world has ever seen. Those questions are amongst the most important questions we can ever ask. And it's when we start to say, who is it that we can serve that we'll discover who we are? There are four basic life searches that people engage in in their life. And you will spend your life working through these searches and these questions. Number one is identity. Who am I? Number two is community. Whose am I? Where do I belong? Number three is how do I make sense of life and answer the why questions? And number four is hope. How do I find a future? Now, those questions are lived out in almost every culture or group of people that I ever interact in. People are looking for who they are. They're looking for where they belong. They're looking for the answers to the why questions and they're trying to find a future. You are in the life stage between the ages of about 15 and 22 or 23. People will decide their answers to these questions. And there may be things that challenge them along the way, but basically what you decide during those ages of your life will determine how you're going to live. Uh, they'll be challenged if you get married. They'll be challenged if you have a, a major life illness. They'll be challenged if you experience major trauma. But those questions get lived out in people's lives as they move through. 
I don't know why this does this, but okay, we're going to move on. And people live in different groupings as they seek to answer those questions. So I want, as we go through this, for you to think about which is your primary group that you belong to. Is it coming? Is it? Oh, no, I was pushing the wrong button. Sorry. Okay. Eight motivational groups. Some people are motivated by competition. They're sporty or they're intellectually competitive and they get their sense of purpose out of competing. There are some cultures that are highly competitive cultures. Um, we ran a... Um, a, a Korean church um, for, for nearly 18 years. And I can tell you that Korean people, their culture is highly competitive. Um, you know, we used to have this joke when year 12 results came out and, and we used to say, we used to offer counselling for anybody that got below 99 in their year 12 scores because that meant that you were a terrible failure in Korean culture. Uh, so very much driven. Kids, if any of you got any Korean Asian friends? Kids would be going to coaching school from grade one um, every year after. Now, we had enormous difficulty getting these kids to study the Bible until we made it a competition. Turned it into a competition, they absolutely loved it because that was a motivation. Some people are motivated intellectually. They're motivated by thinking and ideas and um, exploring and reading and researching. Uh, in the work that we do with Stop the Traffic, we often get people who come and say to us, can we volunteer with you? Because we just love research. We just love policy. And oh, you're all looking very blank. I don't think there's any people in the room that are motivated by that. <laughs> okay. Some people are motivated by social. That is, wherever they go, they create a party. Um, they're very good with people. Um, send them to their bedroom to do their homework and they'll almost go insane. Sit them in a room with a bunch of other people doing homework and they'll achieve it. A fourth area that people are motivated by is some people are inner motivated and I think this is probably the descriptor of me. It's partly because I went to so many different schools but I became a very self-contained person. I could move through these different groups. Um, I could observe them and figure out how they work, except for I'm totally uncoordinated so I could never get into the competitive sporty group. But I was an inner motivated person. So that is, I liked my own ideas, my own thoughts. I could tolerate being on my own for long periods of time if I needed to. And it didn't matter to me that I was the only one in the room that looked or thought the way that I did. Then we have the next four, people who live on the edge. They're people who are always pushing the boundaries, wanting to get the next little bit of adrenaline. They're the people who like to do the skateboard riding or whatever. 
The, the sixth group is craze, fad or fashion group. These are trendies. Um, I don't understand trendies at all. But trendies are people that whatever is new, they are into it. Okay? That's these two, is it? <laughs> no? Okay. Some people, number seven, are multi-stimulated. You know, these aren't just people that play one musical instrument, they play three. They don't just do one sport, they do four. They play an instrument, they do sport, they have a craft, they're in their youth group, they also go to scouts, and they are exploring the smorgasbord of life. Okay? No people like that? Yeah? And then some people are survival motivated. That is, because of the context that they're in or because of um, what has happened in their life, maybe they've been abused, maybe they've been hurt, they're actually just living moment to moment. They're actually just surviving from one to the next. And it's almost like they would be motivated by one of these others, but they've had to suppress their other motivations just to get through. Okay? Now, with a brief introduction to that, I want you to talk to your team partner again. What is your motivational group? What's your pro... Well, try and keep it down to three, all right? Otherwise, we'll just put you in multi-stimulated. <laughs> all right? What's your primary motivational group? Okay, you figured that out? Who are the competitive people in the room? Any competitives? Yep, couple of compet are you sporting competitive or academic competitive? Or you just like both competing? Both? For me both. For you both? Okay, alright. Intellectuals? Yep, we've got some intellectuals in the room. Socials? Yep, good. I'm glad we've got one party animal in the room. Inner motivated people? We've got a few of them, alright. Edge. Oh, we have an edge person. Or is that two edge people? Two edge people, okay. Craze, fad or fashion? You set the trends? Oh, that's good. I don't like trendies. Glad we don't have any of them. Um, multi-stimulated. We've got some multi-stimulated and survival. Yep, okay. What I want you to do is I want you to get in a group. Um, now, I'll, many of you put your hands up saying that you're in more, more than one of those groups. So if we would have a group, there was a fairly large group of inner motivated people. If, if that's you, can you stick your hand up? Okay, so could we have the inner motivated people sit over here next to these two? Um, we had a little bunch of social people. Who were the socials? You guys were the socials? We were the multi. You were the Maltese. Okay, who else is a Maltese? 
No? All right, that's fine. You two have got to be multi together. Um, what about um, the social? Yeah, social. We've got a couple of socials, so you guys can be together. Were you a social as well? No. Okay. Um, an inner? Yeah, they were inners as well as, as well as, oh, we've done inner, haven't we? All right. Um, intellectuals. Yep, one intellectual. Did you say you were two Juliets? And you are as well, so maybe you can form a threesome. And what have we got left? Craze, fad, fashion. Competitive. And competitive. Okay, who was competitive? One. Hmm. You might have to compete with yourself. <laughs> or do you want to go with the intellectual? Okay, and you haven't got a group? Do you want to choose one? Okay, you just want to be an inner person out there on your own, don't you? <laughs> okay, that's fine. Here's what I want you to do. Think about your motivational grouping and what's the movie character that best characterises your character. Alright? That's the first question. Any movie character. Any movie character. Okay? So, you know, the intellectuals might be... We didn't end up with an intellectual group. Oh, no, you are intellectual. Might, you might be Yoda out of Star Wars might be your character. But, you know, come up with a movie character that exemplifies who you are. Come up with a motto for your motivational grouping. So, I'm... <laughs> In a motivated people, my motto is, I am a rock, I am an island. Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel, okay? I'm old enough to know. Alright? So, go for it. Think about your motivational grouping and what, what are you like?
Struggled with the movie character. That's okay. It's okay to struggle with the movie character. Did you get a motto? Uh, a couple of different ones. Well, it's not going to come. Did yours was good. I think we one. What was yours? I want to know. I want to know. Yep, that's a good motto for the the intellectual isn't it I want to know yeah I want the information some people don't believe it or not some people live their lives not wanting the information okay what about the inner people were you inners yeah character yeah Okay. Yep, they live inside their heads. Yep, yep, okay. And your motto? Uh, I am my own team. I am my own team. Okay, that's very good. Yep, 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 great. Okay, and you guys were? You're the socials, okay. You must have a movie. Honour from Frozen, okay, very good. And your motto? Uh, eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Okay, eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Okay, now inner people, you would think that that would be a horrible way to live. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. You know, you've got to be with people all the time. Okay, you guys, you were the multi-stimulated. Boy in the striped pajamas. Okay, all right. And we try everything. Life is a smorgasbord or a buffet. Let's let's life too tr short to not try anything. Now, what I, wanna, what I want to suggest to you is that these motivational groupings can help you 
to answer who you are. We're not going to go through all of them. Especially because my hard disk has just decided that it's full and it's not going to let me do it. Okay, will it? No, it's frozen. Okay, so each of these offers you a way of giving yourself away. All right, let me say that again. Each of these offers you a way of giving yourself away. A way of sharing your life to serve other people and a gift that you bring to the whole of society. So here's the next question for your group. What is your gift to the world? What is your motivational group's gift to the world? Go for it. You're in every school photo because you try everything, okay? So what, what gift can that bring that you can use? It depends if, uh, depends if people like your Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> but what I would suggest is that you're connectors. You can connect the people who do sport with the people who do music, with the people who do IT, with the people who do art, because you're in all of them. Okay, so you can be connectors. Okay, what about the social people? You'll always be there. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what's going on, you're always there, and you're always, you have a kind of a third sense about people and what's going on for them, don't you? Yeah, and so that's, that can be your gift to the world, your giving away to the world. Okay, and what about the inner people? You inspire people to be themselves. So you, your big message is, it's okay to be unique. <laughs> I'm an individual and that's okay. It's three o'clock. Oh, it's three o'clock. Siri does that and I don't know how to turn her off. Okay, so that's your gift to the world. What about the intellectuals? What's your gift to the world? We, we provide the robust like way of solving some of the problems because we'll do the groundwork. You'll do the groundwork on solving some of the world's big problems. So 
lots of people say, wouldn't it be better if the world was happier? You can actually figure out how to do that. And so that's your gift to the world, is to take people's big ideas and actually turn them into reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's just multitasking over there in the corner. Okay, so what I want to suggest to you is in the answer to who am I, one part of the answer to that question is I am who I choose to serve. I will discover who I am in who I choose to serve. And who I choose to serve can come out of the group that I am motivated by being with. That can be my gift to the world. So who am I? Can you answer that question a little better now? You're a multi-stimulated person who can connect. You are the party animals who can be there for people. You tell the world it's okay to be yourself. And you will solve the world's biggest problems. So who are we? We're children of God and we each have our own contribution to make. So thank you for being here. Um, thank you. And enjoy the rest of Soul Survivor. <laughs>